Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. I'm so excited about my guest today, Paul Selig. Paul is considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels in the world. In his breakthrough works of channeled literature, including I Am the Word Beyond the Known, Realization and Alchemy, which was published in this month, August 2020, he has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. Paul was born in New York City and received his master's degree from Yale. A spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. Described as a medium for the living, Paul has the unique ability to step into the people his clients ask about, often taking on their personalities and physical characteristics. This is going to be exciting. Paul offers channeled workshops internationally. A noted educator, he served on the faculty of New York University for over 25 years and is the former director of the MFA in writing program at Goddard College, where he now serves on the board of trustees. Paul lives in New York City, where he maintains a private practice as an intuitive and conducts frequent live stream seminars. This is his story and this is his passion Paul, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I've got so many questions to ask you, and I'm so excited. If you don't, Mm -hmm. uh, potentially those in our audience that don't know about you, if you don't mind starting off with your spiritual experience in 1987. Well, I was about a year out of graduate school. I was on the way to having what I thought was a sort of hot career. I hit a real wall. I had everything that I thought that I wanted that would make me okay in the world. And I wasn't okay. And really out of sheer necessity, not because I thought it would be nice to get spiritual, I began to pray. And I actually heard a voice telling me to get my act together. And I listened to it. It was the first voice. But I think what you're referring to is something that happened a few months later, which was sort of an energetic experience. It was the night before this thing that people were calling the harmonic convergence. I heard people were going to be waking up. And I had just come to believe that perhaps there was something more. And I thought, well, if there is a God or something like a God, whatever you want to call it, and you ask to be woken up to it, why would it possibly want to say no? And um, I went up to the roof of this building that I lived in and I asked. And in retrospect, I asked from a place of real innocence and possibility. And I ended up you know, having an experience of of energy moving through my body, you know, from the base up through the top of my head that left me sort of frozen on the roof. And, you know, somebody had given me, you know, a crystal and a mantra, and I thought you needed these things. And for all I know, I was hyperventilating up there on the roof, and that's what happened. It turns out that the mantra, and I didn't know this at the time, was was a Kundalini mantra. I didn't know what Kundalini was. And people later said, well, it sounds like you had a spontaneous Kundalini awakening. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but it, it did rock my world, but it gave me an anchor that kept me, you know, on this journey when I think I otherwise might have happily derailed and gone elsewhere. And is this 
the beginning of your the the channeling that you experienced did that was that the start of it no i didn't really put a lot of stock in channeling i'd read half of a seth book um when i was a grad student and thought it was really interesting i think it had an effect on me but i didn't finish the book i recall that no i um i started to open up clairvoyantly a bit i started seeing lights around people after that experience on the roof and um i knew something was happening within me and i didn't have much context for it a friend suggested that i go see an energy healer to get some discussion about what i was starting to experience and she sent me to somebody else and i worked with this guy for a few years and finally got the courage to study myself and i was volunteering at a center that was open to provide um support for people that were living in those cases those days dying of aids it was the height of the aids epidemic in new york city and i found that when i had my hands on people's bodies i began to get information hear things for them and as they would confirm what i was hearing i began to trust the clear audience this was the beginning of clear audience i started a group that met in my apartment at this time because i was so interested in sitting in the energy and i thought i would do my old teacher's work you know just energy work and i started getting information clear audiently in the very first meeting and i had that group for about 18 years in my apartment i had people would come put 10 bucks in a basket you know i would set up the chairs order a pizza when everybody was gone that was the end of my commitment yeah. but i was very consistent in showing up and the the work that i do now as a channel the lecturing really only began i think in earnest in like 2008 and that's when what i used to hear which was sort of instructions for working with energy and fragments sort of became a whole teaching all i knew was i was talking a lot more in the groups i wasn't really very interested in what they had to say i was interested in the energy because the energy was physically palpable and i knew you couldn't fake it you know it was too real and i liked sitting in the energy with a group of people so that was a later event you know and um and it's continued once i became willing to sit for the books they really haven't stopped you know they've delivered now i just completed the dictation on the ninth book so that's nine books in 10 years i think it's wow. kind of astonishing but the books don't take more between usually i think the new book took 41 days of sessions and that was long but the sessions were shorter than you know because we're doing this in this odd time i was used to the books are now done publicly in front of audiences and because i don't have a live audience in the room i was convening you know workshops online or groups online to to be present for the dictation so you know it's it's an interesting phenomena they're very consistent and they clearly they have a lot to talk about so i'm really just the radio that's my job and i i i leave it there as as i'm listening to you sound obviously you're very passionate about it and curious but did you you must have felt this is a calling in some way because through your consistency and your presence I don't know that I did. I I felt called to a spiritual life. That was very real for me. And in my case, I feel that the add-ons which were some psychic ability came in service to that, not the other way around. I didn't aspire to being a channel. I don't know why anybody would want to be a channel, truthfully, if it's really channeling if it's really channeling you're taking dictation 
you know, and for me, it's a very physical process. So it's, there's work involved. Is it, can I ask, is it not enjoyable to channel? I don't know that that's the right word. It's probably um, the wrong word I'm using, but you, when you said, I don't know why anyone would want to be a channel. Well, I, because I, you know, I think because people assume things about what channeling is, or mm-hmm. they assume that they've got, you know, a tether to the higher realms and they're going to get all their prayers met and, you know, I don't think it works that way. And I'm, I'm personally a bit suspicious of people who come at this from that place. You know, I've had people say, I want a career as a channel. And I said, well, the career is something that happens as a byproduct of show, doing your work. Yeah. I don't know that you aspire to that. I don't think it's about, you know, how many memes you can get up on social media with a pithy quote. For me, what I do is I show up for this work and often when I don't want to, it's not easy. I'm, my life becomes a part of my process for dealing with this work. So I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I have no aspirations in those directions at all. But I do know that if the guides are teaching how to move through fear, guess who's going to have to live through that too? You know, I don't get a free pass. And the work of the channel, finally, of any real channel, I think, is to be in service to the information. And so do I enjoy it? I'm very grateful for it. I find it fascinating. I like being in the energy of it. But, and when I'm doing a book, I have to say, or they're doing a book through me, the stakes feel high because the rule is, as I work, that I don't get to go back and change anything. So, you know, that's it. So if you can imagine talk being on a tightrope, knowing that every word coming out of your mouth is going to be bound in a volume that's going to be read by thousands of people, and you can't go back and fix it, even if it makes no sense. No editing. There's no editing at all. No pressure at all with that, by the way. (laughs) Occasionally there's a mispronounced word, Um, I'll be speaking so fast, I'll say it wrong, but it's pretty clear, usually because I whisper and repeat, we can usually hear it on the recording, on the whisper. But I don't even type the transcripts anymore, they're sent out and then somebody else proofreads them and then I'll proofread them when the book is ready. This new book that they've just finished delivering, it's 295 pages, I think I've read about four paragraphs of it so far. I've just been compiling it, I haven't been able to bring myself to sit down and read through the whole, you know, volume and experience it, because that's what I'm going to have to do. When I'm channeling, I retain about a third of the information coming through me of that. It Um, is. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. And you talk about the energies. What does it feel like in your body when you're channeling? It depends. You know, when I'm, I work as a psychic too, you know, and I'm an odd psychic. I'm, I, I work as you know, a medium for the living. I can work with the living. I don't talk to dead people that much, but I mean, it happens, but it's not my real work. But if you're estranged from your sister, I can probably tune into your sister. I may start to look like her. I can sort of broker a higher conversation um, between the two of you in, in, in a way that's, you know, verifiable. I mean, that stuff is, has been, I've been filmed doing it. It's quite interesting. When I'm doing that kind of work, I feel like I'm sharing the front seat with the guides that I work with. So we can pass the wheel back and forth and I'm not in terribly deeply. And I'm mostly feeling what it feels like to be you or your sister. 
and then hearing them off from the side. When I'm channeling or they're speaking through me, it's a bit like I climb into the back seat of the car and I turn the wheel over. And really it's as if they become me. There, it's very physical, there's gestures, my arms are moving. I've been told, I don't know how many hundreds of times, I haven't seen it, um, that my eyes turn bright blue when I work, you know, and very often they'll do something where they step into me very fully and they'll stand before people and work with them energetically. And I've been told about this. I, somebody actually recently said, did you see on a, on a videotape that was, you know, from a, a live stream, I did, people said, did you see his eyes turn blue? I want to go back and see the tape. I'm curious as I've heard about this for so long now, but the feeling when I'm channeling is it's, it's about, it's for me, it's about being in a bit of a loop. When I hear the words are coming through, I whisper the words and then I repeat them in a louder voice. And this is a habit I got into early before people were work, I was working with a microphone. And as that's coming, the next phrase is coming into the whisper. So if you can imagine somebody reading ticker tape that's coming through you this way or fortune cookies one after the other, I'm hearing fragments right. that add up to sentences, paragraphs, chapters, books. And all my job is, is to render the next phrase carefully without the understanding of where it's going. And that's fascinating for me because it's once I see the transcript, I see that it all makes sense and it all adds up. But it's a bit, you know, I, I, did a, I did some readings for some producers from ABC News did a thing on me a number of years ago. And this one woman came for a session because that's how they checked me out. And I read for her and she said, you know what's so interesting? I just did a documentary piece on savants, yes. you know, children that have these extraordinary- Incredible gifts, yes. Incredible gifts, but they can't sort of speak a coherent sentence. Autistic savants. It's, yes, pretty much. Or she said, when I look at, when I watch you work, you look exactly like they do. And maybe that's, maybe I'm, maybe I'm somewhere on the spectrum. I have no clue, but it's, um, it's a different way of being when I channel. But I think of myself quite simply as, as a radio, you know? Which is a and, fantastic uh, way to describe it. Well, that's it, you know? I don't think that, you know, I'm, I'm extraordinarily special. I'm, you know, a high-strung, worried guy who, you know, makes mistakes and just still trying to figure things out and all of that. And, um, you know, I, I don't understand it and I may never. You know, and part of the reason I continue to do this is I think, well, maybe one day I'll understand what this stuff is, you know. Um, I think I would rather be like that, you know, sort of kid who can close his eyes and render the perfect picture of a, an aerial view out of an airplane with every detail that he saw for three seconds, because then you go, wow, look, you know, and I'm still going, how the hell is this happening? <laughs> can you, you not know, ask can you not ask them the questions can you ask for yourself i guess is what i'm asking you up to a point okay. i can and very often they'll try to address those larger issues as part of the dictations for the books you know they'll mm -hmm. they'll say now we'll explain to paul why x y or z and i'm generally very uncomfortable with those dictations because they're about me and I don't feel comfortable being a clear channel 
for information that's about me directly. A lot of psychics I know will say they can't really read for themselves. So I trade with people, you know, that I, that I, I, that I, I respect and I'm fortunate that I have good people in my life to do that with. But yeah, I mean, they've said some stuff. And I, I also don't know that I could comprehend the full picture if it were given to me, you know. I mean, I, I, there was one book that I, I channeled. It was called The Book of Truth. And it was different than the other books in some way. The process felt very different. And every time I sat down for a dictation, I had the experience that the book was already completely written and somebody was sitting beside me whispering the words, you know, of the book mm -hmm. that was already done. It felt, and it was such a careful, careful, careful dictation. And the word use was different than other books. This guide kept using the word dears, which is a word that I don't like at all. We would like you to know dears. And I'm like, oh, please. <laughs> but that's how it came. Right. And I once saw one of my guides in a meditation. It was actually very funny because I got stuck in a guided meditation that somebody else was running and I didn't want to be there, but I was being polite. So I went right. and did it. And this person was this long, extensive thing. And this person was saying, now, you know, you're walking down a hill and there's a ravine and there's a little brook and there's a, you know, down, 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 down and lie there on the ground. And now your guide is going to join you. This is what you, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, get me out right. of here. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Get me. I said, yeah, right. And all of a sudden I looked up and I could see my guide, the one that I've seen you know, tumbling down this hill at breakneck speed as if he'd just been summoned. And he was carrying these two huge scrolls. It was like the Torah. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And he said something to me because I'd had a little bit of a disagreement with somebody earlier in the day who was trying to get me to define what I do in, in, in ways that were sort of scientifically acceptable. Mm -hmm. And she kept saying, well, how do you know it's not you? How do you really know? How can you really know it's not just you? A question you? that's always asked, isn't it? Well, and I go, you know, I, I may have a good vocabulary, but I don't think I'm capable of, of sitting in a chair with my eyes closed and speaking nine books that don't require any editing. I think that, mm -hmm. that I, don't, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. But I was frustrated by the conversation because I felt like I was you know, trying to explain something that I've never been 100% comfortable with. You know, I don't think I'm some master who can do this. I'm this guy who sits in the chair, closes his eyes, and takes the transmission and the dictation. But the guide came down, the, down to me, and this woman said, your guide has something to tell you. And he said, stop trying to, what is it? Stop trying to explain what you do you don't know. And then he left. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great saying. It was the perfect thing. And yeah. I was funny. Um, and I wondered, I, but I was about to start another book when that happened. And I kept thinking, I wonder if that was the book. You know, those scrolls were the book that was already, yeah, already written. I have no idea. You know, I didn't even know the titles most of the time until they say, and this is the title of the next book. And then you go, okay, there you go. I mean, yes, it, it is. I think it's wonderful. I know you're, you're very humble about it, but it's quite an incredible, an incredible gift. So I just want to ask you in regards to the channeling, do you, which you've detailed, but do you, you set your conscious mind aside? I allow it to recede as best I can. 
proceed. Okay. I, I think of it as stepping back. That's all. I don't do a formal meditation before I work. Perhaps if I did, I would be better at what I do. And perhaps the whisper repeat thing might end. You know, sometimes I don't do it and I'm always surprised when it doesn't happen. But um, no, I just, if you think about a radio and you think about sort of tuning a radio, all you have to do to switch stations is turn the dial, you know, a, a, a millis, you know, just a millimeter and yeah. suddenly there's all of the broadcast. And that's how I experience this. So there's not some process that takes you half an hour, an hour to get in the, the right radio zone. You basically no. know how to tap into this frequency. It's just, turn, it's just turning the dial to that level. Mm-hmm. When I was younger and doing this, when I was in my early 30s and this began, and I'm in my late 50s now, and I was doing groups in my apartment and I was doing a group in Connecticut once so we can all, you know, people were just flooding to, to hear me work. And I was like, I, I didn't, I was always so terrified that I would show up before a room full of people and nobody would talk to me. I, I was just about that. to ask you that question. <laughs> it was awful. And I used to torture myself about it. And before a group one night, um, I, I heard the guides ask if they had permission to merge. Is it maybe we have permission to merge? And I went, okay. And I felt this energy just sort of move through me. And the difference then has been, you know, since then is that I don't have to go someplace else. Right. At the beginning, I felt like I had like, you know, those old tin can telephones, the game tin telephone, yeah. we had a, two tin cans and a string. And I figured I would sit there with my tin can, hoping somebody else would take the other end and say something. And that's not the case anymore. And I feel at this point, the agreement with the guides is that if I show up, at an appointed time that they're going to show up at an appointed time and do the work. Because I think if I were to ever show up before, you know, a room full of, if we, when, if we can get back to working in front of live people, you know, a room full of a hundred people and nothing happened, I would probably never do it again. You know, I'd be too upset, Yeah. but they show up, I show up. I just don't know what the content is going to be, you know? And, um, I just ask to be clear. I ask for a spirit to put the words in my mouth before I do this work. I surrender it as best I can. And then I try to stay out of the way, you know? And when I get in the way, they, they address it. Paul has a question, Paul is interrupting. And then, you know, and, and the reason for that is if they're saying something that I don't understand or I'm not sure I heard correctly, mm-hmm. or perhaps I misheard or misspoke, I've been known to stop it, to say, you know, to say, hey, wait a minute. And for the most part, they'll address those questions. And, you know, I don't write the books, but my name appears on the covers of the books. So I feel some responsibility. And I think if I'm getting screwed up by this teaching, if I'm confused by this, somebody else may be too. So I suppose, you know, even though I'm doing it for very selfish reasons, I'm serving as proxy for the reader who may have questions as well. But no, they, they, it, every time they'll say this and stop, it is like standing on a diving board every time hoping that there's water in the pool because you're going to jump. And every time I jump, there's been water in the pool. And I'm, I'm what, what an incredible surrendering each time. Yeah, it is a surrendering each time. And, uh, you know, there are times when I'm much more receded and then I don't remember pretty much anything of what I just said. Um, but they, they, they did address this in the, in the last book. They talked, and I don't know that it's part of the book. I think it was, it was discussed afterwards in, in our small group that 
we would talk after the dictation about what we heard. And they talked a bit about what happens when I get in the way and how they work around it and how they, you know, move me out of the way again. So they seem to have it fairly well under control. I mean, I think this is a collaboration. They know who they're working with and they know, you know, what my limitations might be and how to support me through them in doing the best work. And that, in my case, is just showing up as, as available to whatever is going to be said without deciding whether it's good or bad or right or wrong. Well, I think you're very brave. I really do. <laughs> I, I, ridiculous. I have to ask you talk about the energies or the guys who are, who are you channeling? Well, they use a collective. We, I call them the guides because my ex, when my ex years ago found out that I could do this, used to say, ask the guides, this, ask the guides, that. So that's why they're called the guides. There's no higher reason. The name that I've been given and that they've spoken and in the books um, on a few occasions has been Melchizedek, which is a priesthood, you know, and they say that they're teachers. They've said, you know, they've said ascended masters. I mean, you know, basically their, their consciousness and they're here to support us in our evolution. That's how I understand it. Um, and fortunately, they're smarter than I am. Otherwise, we'd all be in big, big trouble, I think. Just, <laughs> so they're really here to educate humanity in some capacity. They're here to support humanity. I mean, the work that they do is energetic. So the books are all energetic transmissions that work directly with the reader. So if you look at, you know, and they said this from the very first book, which was, you know, dictated in 2009, they said, you know, um, these are books that are experienced more than written and read. And that the real book is the energy that informs the book. And there's a passage for the reader. And nobody knew who I was. Oh, you know, there was no press at all. There wasn't a publicist even on the first book. So people started finding that first book. It was called I Am The Word. And posting these reviews on Amazon saying things like, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing yes, that's, I've energy heard fields. That. Yeah. That's incredible. And it's true with all of the books. The books are working with the readers at that level. And the transmission is up-leveled as you go through them. You know, they're really lifting us, you know, through this process towards, I mean, you can call it embodiment for lack of a better word, but actualization, I suppose, is a better way of saying mm -hmm. it. But yeah, that's the real book. The real book is the energy. The information provides an intellectual context for the reader in a way yes. of operating. But the real book, I think, is, is them speaking to the energetic field of the reader. Well, it's just wonderful that it goes beyond the word. And do you have to read, or do you recommend that the books are read in a sequential order? You know, the guides have said that they teach in a one-room schoolhouse. And... Um, you know, that they will meet the reader wherever they arrive. And I found that to be true. I think it's helpful to start at the beginning to get a context. Um, I think that the later books perhaps may benefit from some prior context. But, you know, the book that just came out, um, Alchemy, um, is a very complete teaching. And my publisher, when he read it, he's read all the books, said, you know, this is a standalone. People can just come to this book. And I said, yeah. And when I read it, I felt the same way. So I tend to say that people should go where they're led with these books. Right. And people who it resonates with will often go to the others as well. But they're often called in to the text that will benefit them the most in the immediate moment. 
This is so exciting. And just, I'm just going to interject for anyone that's listening or watching this interview, all your details will be in the show notes mm-hmm. and where, where to find the books. I'd, I'd just like to jump back to when you say you are able to take on personalities if you're doing mm-hmm. a reading for someone. You, I think you mentioned if I had a sister, you can take on the personality of the sister. Is that, so that's still working with your guides or the collective energies? No, I don't. I don't. I think the guides will pipe in, but I don't think it's their work. I think of that work as psychic work. I think of the channeling as spiritual work. Okay. I, I think they can work together. I think, you know, for example, I don't think the guides that I work with care so much what people do for a living or if our relationships work out. I mean, okay. that's our, our stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so there are different ways that they can help. I mean, they come in to teach. So if I'm doing a session and I tune into somebody who's having, you know, discord, the guides might come in and explain the reason for the discord, the lesson of the discord, but they're not going to necessarily tell you that you have to fix your marriage. You know, that's up to you. You have choice. Sure. They're very big on not overriding free will. So what I'm doing is a little bit different when I step, I call it stepping into people. And it's a beautiful term. Well, I, it's a funny term, you know, but I had been a playwright when I was very young. And I used, and I didn't think about my, of myself as psychic at all, but I used to induce trance when I worked without knowing what I was doing. I used to put on one piece of music on loop for hours and hours and hours and just sort of sit there and let things happen. And the idea of becoming character was present in those days. What changed was when I found out that I was really doing it. Somebody came by to talk to the guides and she mentioned her father's name. And I had my eyes closed, I was reading, and I heard her gasp. And I said, what's the matter? She said, you started to look just like my father. And I took him on. And then I found out I could do that continually. There's a TV show that I was on a few years ago called The Unexplained on the bio channel. And, um, you know, where you, they would invite somebody to come for a reading and you would know nothing about them. And I stepped into this woman's son. All I knew was she had a problem with her son. And I stepped into the son and I completely somatized the kid um, who it turns out, you know, had cerebral palsy. It was really a, a very difficult reading, but you know, you could see what happened to my body and they intercut me with the boy, you know, in his wheelchair and you could see this whole thing. So the thing is, I step in, I don't always understand what I'm experiencing unless it's part of my vocabulary. I think if I were to be asked to step into somebody else who had that challenge, I would recognize it. I would say, oh, is this cerebral palsy? There was a a person I read for somebody once a couple of years ago, and I stepped into them and, and I went like that. And I didn't, I said, I don't know what this means. I'm doing this. And he said, I'm a skier. Those are the skis. Those are the poles. Now that's, I know. That's great. So when, that's when you're awesome. when you when you're stepping into, say, someone comes uh-huh. to a reading and you're stepping into another person that you don't know. It just, yeah. I'm giving the example as if I had a sister yeah. to be my sister. How uh-huh. do you pick up on the sister? I Is use that- the name. I just use their names. I like birth names the best. Um, it's it's really psychometry, I suppose. You've seen people who say, "Let me hold a piece of jewelry," or "Let me mm-hmm. hold." an object, I use the name, but the name for me holds the vibration of the person. And so that's how I'm stepping in. So if your sister is named Mary Smith and there's a millions of Mary Smiths, I'm gonna get your Mary Smith through you. I don't need, you know. The only times I ever get confused if there's 
your mother's name is Mary Smith and your cousin's name is Mary Smith. And I don't know, I'm, I, I've been known to go to the wrong, the wrong one in the, in, within a family, but that's pretty rare. So I just use the name. That's my, it's like a map coordinate for me. And then I go to the, that place on the map that is the name. And they, you know, people think you have to be in the room to do this and you don't, you know, consciousness can be anywhere. And so if I, if your sister's in China or your sister's in Russia, I can, I'm there, you know, it's just a bang. You're just there, you know, with them. And sometimes you're with them very much in the moment with what they're doing. It's quite, quite interesting. I read for, I just, I read for a woman yeah. once and I tuned into her son and um, my eyes started burning, you know, and I said, I don't know what's going on. I'm tuning into your son and my eyes burn. It's like chemicals. And she said, yeah, he just came out of a chlorinated pool his eyes are pink. So that's what I was feeling, wow. but I didn't have a context for it. So it's almost sort of that, that instantaneous. It's great how you explain it. it is different from the channeling. You're, you're quite conscious while you. Yeah. The difference with the channeling is there's no interpretation. This requires interpretation. It's real. And, and <laughs> I won't go on about this because we've got a few other things to discuss, but when you're slipping into someone else, um, you take on their personality. How do you see do you see images about them? Do you hear them? Do you feel them? Or is it all I, of the above? I feel and I hear primarily. I, I get visual information um, some days with some clients more than others. You know, sometimes it's very vivid and I, I'm describing, you know, the house they're going to buy in detail. You know, it's, sometimes it's not. It, I suppose some of it pro probably varies on who I'm reading. Some of it might be my my how adept I am in that day, how mm. clear my antenna is to sure. pick up the broadcast. Um, but primarily, I, I describe myself as a clear audience, which is hearing and clear ascension, which is feeling. And do you ever sometimes feel that you've seen too much when you morphed or slipped into that person? Seeing too much? No. Okay. I felt things that are uncomfortable that I prefer not to feel. Um, I've read for people. I, you know, I don't read for, I mean, I always say, you know, I'm not, I don't really, I, I occasionally I do get people's relatives who are on the other side and family, you know, friends. I mean, it happens when I work and, and I can often feel them and I may resemble them a bit, but I, I often don't hear them in the same way that I can hear the living. And I don't, it's almost like it's a different station, Yeah. Um, but occasionally I do, but I've stepped into people who have, end of their life. Um, and I know what it feels like to be at that moment where you're putting the noose around your neck. I know the moment of despair or terror or rage, you know, and they're hard things to feel, I have to say. And I'm happy when I get to step out of that. But I also know that, you know, if for whatever reasons in my life, I've had a large emotional experience. So the part of me that has felt pain or felt terror or rage is the part of me that can recognize and name it in another for most, for the most part. And that can be very helpful. I mean, that's how one develops empathy, I think. Mm. And this is, you know, when people talk about being empaths, this is an extreme version of that. So I'm grateful for it. I just don't, I've realized I don't need to take on somebody else's pain in yeah. order to be helpful for them. I, I don't think it's a requirement. So fascinating. And my final question on that with reading people, and you, I think you just mm -hmm. touched on this is the house they're going to buy, for example. Mm -hmm. 
you might look at their past, present and future. Is the future already happened? Is the future already set in your opinion? You know, I don't like, I don't, I don't like doing precognitive work. I have a good friend who's a precog and she says, oh, Paul, I know you don't want to do, do predictions, but tell me, what, what do you get? And I, you know, I'm accurate, I say, for the most part with all this stuff. But I, I, I prefer to work with it here and now. But if somebody is saying, you know, am I ever going to get a relationship? And, you know, suddenly I start seeing some guy with a sunburst tattoo on his back, I'm going to say... I'm seeing some guy with a sunburst tattoo on his back and then I'll get the email. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm dating a guy with a sunburst on his back. I want okay. you to know. My favorite was this woman who came to me. She was a businesswoman, and she asked if she was ever going to meet somebody. And I said, you're not going to want to hear this, but I'm, I'm hearing yes. But like at a potluck dinner and like we both rolled our eyes, like who yeah. goes to potluck dinners? <laughs> and she wrote me about a year or two later and said, I just wanted to tell you this. Um, I was invited to a potluck dinner and I only went because of the reading and I met my husband. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) It's nice when those things happen. I know. So, you know, it varies. I mean, it is, it is fascinating. I guess also I just, since we are in very unusual times at the moment, have your energies or your guides addressed what's happening in the current climate? Yeah. And in the last and all the books they've talked about these times. Mm. That's it's what they've been talking about. They said in the very first book, I am the word humanity is at a time of reckoning and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And as the books progress, they talked about how things that have been hidden are going to be revealed and how structures that had their basis in fear, economic, religious, governmental will have to be renowned or recreated in a higher way. And that there's a process of releasing the old so that the new can be born and that none of it is comfortable, to the, especially to what they call the small self who knows itself through history, mm-hmm. you know. But they're very clear on a number of things about how we treat each other. They say, you know, what you damn and who you damn damns you back. And mm-hmm. what you bless blesses you in return. It's a very simple teaching. And it's a good code to operate from. It's not pretending that things aren't difficult, but it's also sort of seeing beyond, you know, the surface level to the potential that exists within change. So I remain hopeful for these times. I just don't think it's necessarily going to be a terribly comfortable ride. It hasn't been, but, you know, I think we're here to learn and this is opportunity to learn, just not through circumstances that we might have individually chosen. Uh, yes. And, and uh, well, many people say many different things, but many people say that humanity, the world is only going to live in more control and more fear. I don't That's hear what, that. Okay. I don't hear that at all. Actually. I hear that this is an opportunity for growth. And I think if we want to invest in fear and invest in control, we can have it. You know, we, we do, we are party to our creations. The guides say we're an energetic accord to everything that we see. And that doesn't mean, that means if you can see it and you're experiencing it, you're in vibrational accord to it. So if you're feeling controlled, you have to look at where you're aligned to that level of control. You know, I mean, we have opportunity here to grow beyond the old, but, um, I, I hear from the guides that humanity has decided to move forward 
and that this is a collective choice that we've made at a higher level, we still have free will. So we could decide how we personally go through this. And <laughs> I, I, I love should, the way you describe that. It's so spot on. Yeah. But I, I also feel that I have choices about how I choose to experiencing things. And, you know, the guides say this, and I'll repeat this when they say the action of fear is to claim more fear and every choice you make in fear begets more fear. They also, and I think in these times, it's important to say this, they talk about prudence and caution, not being fear. That's healthy. So if, you know, if, if you're, if you want to go skating on a lake, and the ice is too thin, and there's a sign that says thin ice, you want to go drown in the lake, you can, but you can also be prudent and say, maybe I'll swim tomorrow when the ice has gotten thicker. You know, maybe, you know, we have umbrellas for the rain. I think that there are ways to be present in these times without, you know, being fearful or being perhaps overly cavalier, you know. So I, I try to see this as opportunity. It's not always easy and comfortable for me. So I know it isn't for others as well. It's most certainly the best perspective to have. And, and we can change our perspective all the time. We choose how mm -hmm. we feel. That's, I, I guess so. that's, our, that's our freedom, isn't it? Yep, it is. Wonderful. I, I, I've asked most of the questions here. Is there anything else you'd particularly like to talk to the Passion Harvest audience about? No. I mean, you know, no. You know, I really don't have anything to say. I'm learning through this too. I'm completely flummoxed about everything right now. <laughs> I'm in so much change. I left to, uh, I was working in Costa Rica for a week. I left my dog with the sitter and I packed a, a bag. Yeah. And I went to Costa Rica. And while I was in Costa Rica, New York City went on lockdown. And um, that's five and a half months ago. I've never been home. I'm still living out of that one suitcase. My dog okay. is still with the sitter. She just oh. had back surgery yesterday, oh. you know. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm completely out of sorts. And then other days I go, well, what an opportunity this is. You know, what an opportunity. I'm, I'm having an experience of a completely other life. I've never been to Maui in my life. I, I didn't expect to come here. A friend of mine said, I have a place for you to stay, come. I came, stayed in a tiny house with a hot plate. It was quite something, you know. So I'm still going, what is all this? and doing my best, you know, and it's not always easy and certainly not always convenient to trust that the outcome may be better, more wonderful than my small self would decide on my behalf. And sometimes the, the unknown is, can be very fearful, but I, again, it goes back to the perception. If you believe that it can only get better. Alchemy talks about this. That's it. I mean, the guide said in that, when this book was channeled last year, they said that where, what, where you stand now is at a place where you can only see the road before you as it's lit. That's it. I love so that. Have, That's perfect. Yeah. So we get to befriend the unknown instead of, you know, demand it disappear because I don't think we get to decide that. Yeah. You know? Well, look, I'm just going to ask you one more question since this is a show about passion. Uh -huh. If people are looking to find their passion or follow the, their passion, what is your advice? I want to say, don't be fearful. And I want to say, act in love. Truthfully, there's nobody stopping us, you know, from ourselves. Mm. There really isn't. I used to do workshops sometimes and the guides would say to people, 
you know, you don't have to go home after this. You think you do, but you don't. You're choosing to go home, you know? You're choosing. They once said to a group of women, by the way, you know, you can all leave your husbands. And they weren't recommending it, but they were saying, you, by the way, you could. And all these women screamed. And then they took a moment, they, looked, they started to laugh because they realized they could. They weren't being told to, but they, they had the right to if they wanted to. And so here, I, the, and I never went home again, you know? I, I'm, I'm, I'm living that example. We have choice. We get to choose. You know, the only one that says no to us is us. Finally. It is. Well, beautiful answer, Paul. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. I've, I've just loved everything we've discussed and it's been such an insight and I can't wait to continue with your book. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.